Salam, shalom, uh, namaste, uh, peace, greetings. This is uh, this is Naim Abdurafi, and this is the uh, memoir uh, workshop podcast, and we'll be uh, continuing today uh, with uh, Roger Woodard, who will be uh, recounting his. Uh, uh, his life, uh, his memories of the uh, Harlem drug life in the 1960s. So um, look forward to about, uh, you know, 25 or so minutes of, of that. And uh, uh, with that, uh, uh, Roger, you're, you're on the line? Yes, I'm right here. He's right here. So, okay, so we're going to we're going to turn this over to Roger right now. Yes. Uh, what I will do is start from where I left off in the last series. And uh, this was my uh, first test of loyalty that I never expected to lead me down this path. And that was when we got stopped on Interstate 95 coming out of Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we had a extremely large <sighs> shipment of drugs, pistols in the trunk. And we just couldn't be busted. And that was made clear to me by my uh, mentor, Lou, and uh, he was doing the driving and he interacted with the highway patrol as he stepped out the car. And uh, we wasn't going to jail if this was didn't turn out right. That's all I know. And a decision was made that uh, if we had to do something to the highway patrol, we would have to do it. And I just let the process flow. I didn't give a negative answer to his uh, decision to do the highway patrol. I just let things unfold. And as I mentioned, uh, he engaged the highway patrol uh, about his license, said, said all the right things, and then noticed the insignia of uh, the Marine Corps and got the highway patrol officer attention going in another way. That was a close call right then. And it also was a wake up call to me that drug dealing is, is will take you down a path that you didn't prepare for. And so my point is that it's always good to be with somebody that's calm, intelligent, and not just prone to violence. Because if that was the case, 
That's how if you told me would have been dead. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. Anyway, I'm going to continue and pick up from where I left off. And uh, we made it back to New York. Uh, what we went to do in Baltimore it, it didn't transpire. So we thought maybe this was a setup, but it wasn't. And uh, I just went by doing what we do. But what had happened from that experience is that uh, my partner, my partner wanted to just uh, make a partnership, just elevate your status. And that's when we became partners at that point in time. And we went and bought, the, well, he already had one, diamond bracelets and everything identical other than the names that was on them. And so everything that we did going forward from that day was a partnership. At that time, I was living off convent, and he was living in Teaneck. And I spent more time on the road than I did at home, and uh, I liked it like that, you know? And he would go north, and I would go south, and uh, everybody was making money in Harlem. So this had to be post Malcolm, I believe, Malcolm De Death. This had to be after, so we're talking maybe 66, 67. Um, uh, you know, if anybody that's familiar with me, know, they would know the timing. But anyway, uh, life was good at that point. And uh, we were just making a lot of money, you know, making a lot of money. And uh, I had some spare time, and uh, I did all the work I had to do, collection and drop-offs and so-and-so, and, so, and uh, got bored. And uh, started sniffing cocaine and down on, and started gambling. Next thing I knew, I lost over... I think $7,000, close to 10. And that was kind of huge, you know. I mean, not great, but huge, 67. We were just going to make it back. But it wasn't my thing to gamble. And I just got caught up and whatnot. Now I got to help my partner for a few days to try to recoup. And I never did. And I... I just said, fuck it. Went, excuse the language. And I went home and uh, fell asleep. And uh, he had a key to my place. And uh, we finally met. And he knew something was wrong. <laughs> I haven't told many people about this, but he handcuffed me to, to the bed and uh, trying to figure out what. You know, I, I knew he had uh, some kind of, I knew he was close. And I didn't think, uh, I, I didn't have no concern that he was going to do something to me. I knew that if anything, this was a prank and he was trying to get something clear to me that it don't happen that way. You know, you don't 
dough and mess up the proceeds and just come on home. And I had to grow up. But he said, listen, just disappear. And that's what we did. We broke our partnership up for maybe a couple of years. And I went back to doing what I do, selling drugs. You know, so that let me know that I didn't just didn't need him to be with him to make money. You know, that that was a signal to let me know. But it wasn't as great. I will mention that. And uh, we split up. Nothing was said again about the money. But we just divorced at that time. And we didn't have any contact until I think three years later after I went and did a bid in Clinton for two years. And again, uh, the people that I ran into during my period of being incarcerated was a lot of heavy hitters. One of the guys that's, uh, I believe now he's living on uh, somewhere in Harlem that uh, one of the ex that uh, got convicted of killing Malcolm X. He was up there in Clinton at the time, and at the time, Clinton was still doing lobotomies. Clinton was one place you really didn't want to be. And so I kind of like get the numbers. And so it had to be 68 that uh, I made it to Clinton. Uh, it was a short bid, two years. And uh, this is when Rackers Island started, they started shipping city prisoners to state prison. And I got sent because I was in a protest on Rikers Island. And because I had a long, two years of Rikers Island is a long number. But two years in state pen is nothing. Depending on the penitentiary you go to. But two years in Clinton is dangerous. And that's the first time that I seen that the population in Clinton at that time was 50-50. It was a lot of white boys in Clinton. And Clinton had a segregated kitchen and white boys ate on one side and blacks ate on another. Clinton, it was just like Attica, but Attica is the one that went off a few years later. But Clinton is a hard spot to reach. And not only that, I met one of my childhood friends up there, uh, Ronald Felton, who was a five percenter. And a few other Harlem guys was up there. And uh, so I was good. But I stayed in isolation for a year because they were arguing in the courts the legality of sending a city prisoner to state prison. But the city prisons were being overrun. So they had to find a way to reduce the population in the city, city prisoners, and that's the contract they wrote with state prisons because you didn't go to state prison back then 
unless you was a true felon. You, you're not going to like they have these days. You can go to prison for a misdemeanor. I mean, they can upgrade it to a felony. But then, if you was in Clinton, you was a criminal. You wasn't in there for DUI. You wasn't in there for domestic abuse. You either killed somebody or you was a danger to society in some form or fashion. That's the way Clinton was then. I don't know how it is now, but in 68, 69, 67, whatever, Clinton is somewhere you didn't want to be. Dannemora to some, Clinton to others. Actually, I think the town is Dannemora and the prison, am I correctly saying that? Anyway, Clinton, Dannemora, either one you want to use is, uh, is no joke. Back then, I don't know what it is now. Uh, and that's the place that uh, Tupac, uh, and believe me, he wasn't in population in Clinton. He wasn't on mainline. And I've done all my time on mainline. Never in segregation, never need no special treatment, nothing. All the state prisons I've been to across the country, I walked the line. You know, that's why I know so many people. I walked a lot. And I don't want to abbreviate from what I'm talking about. But I, okay. I'm going to interrupt for a minute, but. That's good. You do that, and we'll, we'll, we'll patiently wait. Okay. Hold on a second. Give him my regard. Okay. And that particular stretch in Clinton went uneventful. Not dreadful happened, but I did learn how to play chess in isolation, if you can believe that. And all the cells in Clinton at that time were single cells. Nobody sell together, no hot water, none of the frills or any of the good stuff that they have today. Clinton was a cold place. Anyway, I made it out of there, made it back to the street. And as usual, walk right back into the same lifestyle. And nothing will ever really change. trying to make a point here, which I'm normally never good at, but if, if, you, if you continue to go down the same route, nothing will ever change. And this is the 60s, this is the late 60s, and things that got a little political and social events. The Panthers was kind of like getting a little notoriety, Five percenters was out there too, and a lot was going on. It wasn't really like business as usual. Your childhood friends might have converted, and that's what happened post Malcolm X. 
a lot of different people wanted to be uh, or, or had the agenda, let me say this, had the agenda and they were recruiting a lot of youngsters to participate in whatever ideology they was putting forth at the time and using Islam. And I had an encounter with my childhood uh, friends and uh, we had to have a sit down and uh, sit down was actually about him doing something to me. If I uh, don't turn, change my ways. And what I was being, what I was being accused of was selling drugs to kids around schools. And that never happened. I don't know who put that out, but that's what they had on their mind. And it was on a, a social uh, vendetta or whatever, you know, they thought it was on and whatnot. To, trying to clean up the neighborhood, but I wasn't the one. You know, the accusation was incorrect, and and I told them, right? And so they had their powwow, and uh, I let them know how I stood about it, and uh, y'all do what you have to do, but I'm going to live my life, and we went our separate ways. I think a couple of years later, or, or not a couple of years later, I think shortly after, they got busted uh, for the murder on, on 25th Street. Uh, I think five of them or four of them were my closest friends, my close friends. Uh, there were five percenters at the time, and uh, I was borderline. I, I never bought in. I never bought in. I was still aggressively pursuing the drug money. And But I respected what they were doing, and I just stayed out of their way. And plus, I was on the road again. I just stayed out of the way and did my thing and continued to do that for till I got shot and uh, that should have been a wake up call but it wasn't because I came back in the street and the first thing uh, one of my childhood friends tell me that Roger so-and-so is back in town and he's up on 145th street and blah blah and uh, i really didn't want to see him because we parted on a negative way because of the money i lost back a few years earlier but he said you want to see him and i went up to 145th and uh, we connected again and i was Back doing what I do, but as a partnership with him. Why my life crisscrosses so much, I don't really know. 
uh, it's it's probably more on him because he was always in a better position to offer me a a a a better opportunity. Let's put it like that. I just knew things would be great with Lou. He didn't do nothing small time. You know, everything was uh, big time. For a minute, I just just wanted to let you know the the impact or the status that my particular uh, mentor, Lou, had in Harlem at the time. He wasn't one to fuck with. And everybody knew it. I don't care who crew you was with. You know, Lou, Lou was known from anywhere in Harlem, into the Bronx, into Brooklyn. He wasn't one to be fucked with. And that's what attracted me to him. That I would have his back, and I know he had my back. And just the status, it, 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 was, it, it was status. When I think about it now, it, it, it was status. Everybody wants to, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to mess with nobody. That don't have the respect of the streets. You don't have the respect of the streets. It's hard to get to Harlem back there and do as you want to do. Wear diamond bracelets and diamond rings and pocket full of money. Yeah, you you, you might try it, but. Uh, Unless you have that respect, it ain't going to turn out right for you. But I just always knew that being with him is like all state, good hands. <laughs> and that's how we did it for quite a few years until, you know, there's it, it no foolproof. There's no guarantee in pushing that poison that you're not going to have complications. It's, it just, uh, it's a marriage that, that's connected with drugs, violence, and prison. It's a marriage there. And you don't get no pass to sling that poison and not be gaffled up eventually. And it might not, it might be for something, you you know, you're not not even with, but it takes you down some dark alleys, some paths that you really don't want to go. And uh, I traveled down quite a few. And uh, plus it's really not a, a easy call to, get out of the drug game is because the money was good. That time I was into, I was into the women too. Everybody been there. But to move around the country was kind of important to me to get some exposure, so to speak, was important to me. 
I had been up in Boston and uh, staying in the Sheraton. We opened the doors for these hip hoppers that now talk about going on the road and what. No, them doors were open by us in the 60s. And I say us because we knew we were just one group that went on the road in the 60s. Now they rap about it in the 90s. But we opened that door. And uh, everybody know they made money. They know that they're going to, you know, probably triple their money taking it out of town anyway. Plus the laws were getting much stricter in the state of New York. Uh, especially when uh, Rockefeller was the governor. Uh, he turned uh, an ounce of uh, heroin into a life sentence. And that also ran uh, a lot of the drug dealers out of New York. And uh, the people that had it started giving it to youngsters. And the youngsters were making all the money. And so he was over 21. He was getting out of out of, out of Harlem, you know. I mean, if you want to make some real money, you was getting out of Harlem. You can turn a, a a key into two keys and move on down the road or whatever. And again, the drugs, the drugs were just so potent at that time. It was extremely potent. Uh, now I hear they adding fentanyl and all this synthetic stuff to uh, produce what they used to produce and coming out of Asia. But now it's kind of where they use a, a lot of synthetics to uh, impact uh, the strength of the heroin or even cocaine, you know. And uh, if you notice, I, I have no knowledge of uh, crack cocaine because I was out of it. I never messed with it, number one. And I was strictly heroin and powder cocaine. Uh, that particular segment missed me, and I'm pretty glad it did. I never was involved in pushing crack cocaine. I was way before that, way before that. And uh, keep in touch with what where I'm at in, in, in telling you what happened to part of my life is that I got out of Clinton, went back to the street, met Lou. We went back to the road. And the next thing is this girl in Boston get busted. She was a school teacher. <laughs> She was a school teacher. And we kept telling her, never keep the drugs in your house. She didn't have to. And we had told her, get her apartment, drugs we drop off that you deliver to somebody. Don't keep them where you sleep. Keep them in a separate location. But she didn't want to listen. And not only that, she had a plan too. This way she knew when we came back in town. You know, we always had to come come to her house. Anyway, she got busted. So now 
my partner had to worry about whether she would give him up. It had information on us already. Roger. But didn't that Roger? Yeah. Yes. I'm, I, let's let's uh, uh, prepare ourselves to to go to break because you're you're getting into something which uh, sounds like it's going to be a pretty inter- interesting uh, 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 episode. Yes, it is. Yes, and and um, so you know we're we're about we're, we're a little more than a minute uh, before break. So uh, I, I just have to say that uh, every, everything I heard was truly fascinating. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, though this is, this is not an agreement between us, but I'm hopeful that uh, what you're doing uh, becomes, uh, becomes a book. And um, I mean, that's what we're moving toward. And that's what this, this, this yeah. po- podcast uh Project. But is, I see. Do I be scattering it? Do I be? Uh, no, no. You're doing. You're doing fine. This. You're doing okay. exactly what I expected. So the system is going to cut us off in uh, in, okay. in, in a few seconds. But I, okay. let me let me just say that you're doing exactly what I want any of our guests to do. Come on and and, 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 and and tell it how you want to tell it, and then we go back. Okay. You know, for example, you, you and, and you'll go you'll, you'll go back and and expand some of the things that you touched on into okay. stories. So thank you very much. Um, we will talk, listeners. Thank you very very 